0: One of the great pleasures, privileges, that I have had in my life is to be able to have experiences of significant time spent in other countries. So when I finished up at University of Washington, uh, I went and taught English in China for a year. Um, I did my graduate degree in Canada and uh, more recently, I've been able to travel to Columbia several times as part of delegations from the Seattle Presbytery. In each of these experiences, I had already become a follower of Christ. I was a Christian. And each experience taught me something more about the universal connection that we have among all Christians everywhere. So in China, uh, I first experienced the presence of God in an entirely different land and culture. I knew this intellectually that this had to be true, that God is the God of the universe, not just of the United States. Uh, That it was obviously true since Jesus was a Jewish man from the Middle East. And so if I, as a waspy young man from Puget Sound uh, could have a relationship with Christ in Seattle area, then clearly uh, God could be present to anyone, anywhere. But living in Guangzhou, I experienced this as true. In Canada, I was fortunate enough to attend a graduate school of Christian studies that had students from all over the world, Brazil, New Zealand, Austria, South Africa, and all sorts of other countries. It was also the place where I learned how offensive it is for many Christians to enter into a church sanctuary that is displaying the national flag of whatever country it is that the the church is in. For most of the people that I spoke with uh, at Regent College where I went, the only country, in fact, that they had ever been in where churches displayed the national flag was the United States. And one of the most deeply moving experiences I had of worship during the time that I was in Vancouver was uh, entering into an Anglican Anglican church on a Sunday morning. And instead of, you know, just say the the Canadian flag alone being displayed, hanging from the balcony around the entire circumference of the sanctuary were the national flags of dozens and dozens of countries from all over the world. And so instead of feeling sort of uh, unwanted or excluded as a non-Canadian, if that had been the only flag that was flying, instead, this felt like a, an international celebration. It was really an amazing experience. And from my trips to Colombia, I've come to see how absolutely essential it is for followers of Christ to be able to separate our identity and goals as people of God from our identity and goals as citizens of any one particular country. Those identities and goals may overlap, but they are not identical. In our text this morning from Philippians, these are issues that Paul addresses for his sisters and brothers in Philippi, these issues of citizenship, of identity and and goals, issues that I will sum up uh, with the one term as allegiance. Where does our allegiance lie? And what does God desire for our allegiance? In these days before such a consequential election Of national leadership. These are significant issues for us to contemplate. And they will be equally important for us to have an understanding on even after the election and going forward. We all have many calls for our allegiance national, political, special interests. And as I said, Before, sometimes those allegiances overlap, but not always. And in this morning's text, Paul makes clear to the Christians in Philippi, and therefore us also, that in those times when our allegiances conflict, our ultimate allegiance to God overrides all others. Paul focuses his discussion within the concept of citizenship, like I was saying with the kids. We hear that in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, is what he says. That was a very loaded concept for those who lived in Philippi. Almost uh, about a hundred years before Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, uh, Philippi had been, the, the city of Philippi had been made into an official Roman colony. So after Julius Caesar died, there was a civil war that broke out in numerous places around the empire, including Northern Greece, which is where Philippi is located. Rome eventually regained control, but wanted to make sure that they kept control over uh, their empire. And so certain cities around the empire were designated as Roman colonies and often uh, settled with uh, Roman soldiers. And that was uh, one of the, that was the situation in Philippi, the goal, For these Roman colonies was similar to all colonies, maintain political and economic control of the people and resources. And as often again in colonial situations, uh, another goal was to uh, impose the culture of the empire on the indigenous peoples. Not everyone who lived in Philippi and probably not everyone uh, in the church Paul was writing to actually had Roman citizenship specifically. Um, Only those who had either worked for the empire or had been born into a family uh, had citizenship. But for everyone who did live in Philippi, allegiance to Rome, especially to the emperor, was mandatory. In fact, the emperor was officially designated Lord and Savior for all people in the empire. Citizen or not, if you lived in the colony especially, your allegiance to the emperor as Lord and Savior was absolutely mandatory. So when Paul proclaims to the Christians in Philippi that our citizenship is in heaven, that idea was revolutionary, truly, literally revolutionary. And then in verse 21, Paul proclaims an equally revolutionary thought about Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait, await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Jesus to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies, etc. That was no question in the, the minds of those in Philippi who heard this, that this was a direct challenge and threat to the emperor, the Roman emperor, and the Roman empire. Paul makes it quite clear to them that their allegiance to God overrides even their allegiance to the empire and to the emperor. And it's important to note here that Paul's understanding of their citizenship being in heaven doesn't mean that they and we don't really belong on earth or to earth. And that we're all just sort of waiting around until we go to the homeland in heaven. Listen again to Paul's focus in verse twenty. Our citizen citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there—the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the the waiting that we are doing is not waiting to go to heaven. The only waiting we are doing is for our Savior to come here, our Savior from there to come back here. And when Paul writes in verse 21, who the Savior by the power in, that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lonely, lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. When Paul writes that, he's referring to our resurrected life, but our resurrected life here on a recreated earth. The biblical vision of the future is not that we leave here and go to heaven. The biblical vision of the future is that Christ returns here to a regenerated earth and we share in a resurrected life on earth. And that changes the focus drastically. It changes the focus from followers of Christ just trying to sort of tough it out here on earth and in this life until we die and get to go to heaven. It changes it from that to working here and now for our Lord and Savior to make life on earth as it is in heaven, as we pray every week. It's similar in a way to life in Canada or Australia, especially in earlier days as their earlier days as countries. The goal wasn't just to put in time until they could return to England. The goal was to build a society where they were that would share in the same principles and values and structure as the homeland. The redeeming factor for us is that if we are following the true principles and values and structures of heaven, the society we will build will not be like typical colonies of exploitation, oppression, and extraction. It will be one of justice and wholeness and peace for all people. One of the commentators on Phil, uh, the Philippian letter that I read is uh, Lynn Kohick, who was, uh, at the time she wrote it, dean of this Denver Seminary. I love the way that she describes the vision. She notes that Paul says, uh, this is our citizenship now. The, the verb tense used here is in the present. Present, excuse me. This heavenly home exists now. Moreover, this heavenly home is not just a future example of what we have now, but is of a totally different nature. In this new place, love rules, sin is banished, and joy covers all things. And believers today actually have an address in this place. We are not ultimately defined by the earthly situations and circumstances we are in. The medical diagnosis, the shattered dreams, the broken relationships, the list of regrets, they do not ultimately define where we live or who we are. I love that. But, In order for all of this to be true, to be our experience, we must remember our ultimate allegiance. Our allegiance to God overrides all other allegiances. Or at least it is supposed to. That's what God's desire is. As we hear from Paul in this morning's text, people don't always live as God desires. He writes, For as I have often told you, before and now say again, and this time with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. The emotion that Paul expresses here is significant. The people he's thinking of bring Paul profound sadness. Paul doesn't hesitate in other letters to express anger. So if, if that's what he had been feeling, that's what he would have written. But here, it's not anger, it's tears. Many commentators believe that the people Paul has in mind are people who had either been a part of the church and now left, or were people who may were, maybe still were there, who professed to be followers of Christ, but whose actions refi- revealed otherwise. Again, Lynn Kohick captures Paul's thought well. Paul understands himself connected to them in some way, these people that bring him sadness, for he weeps at their position. He's most saddened to see those who have professed Christ turn away. His sadness comes from how close these people are to embracing what God has done for them And then stepping away. In essence, the people that Paul has in mind have chosen allegiance to themselves over allegiance to God. In fact, like the way Paul puts it, uh, their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. It's interesting as well that Paul calls them enemies of the cross of Christ, rather than calling them enemies of Christ. Because the cross represents Jesus's giving up of what is best for himself for the benefit of others. The cross represents the the cost, the high cost, of serving God by serving others rather than yourself. Jesus gave up his dignity, his power, his life even, that others could experience eternal life jesus 's allegiance to God overrode all other allegiances this week, we have again seen many times over how far we are as a nation from living as God would have us live, living as as, as we're in, in a society where all serve rather than be served, where the least, the last, and the lost are lifted up and loved. The contrast of God's kingdom and our nation was captured for me particularly in two tweets this week that I read on the same day from two different persons. The first noted, that according to new research from Columbia University, since federal aid for the pandemic ended in May, so roughly six months, since in the last six months since that aid ended, an additional 8 million Americans have fallen into poverty, just in the last six months. But then the other tweet that I read pointed out billionaires in the U.S., just in the U.S. alone, billionaires have increased their wealth $282 billion within the first three weeks of lockdown. Eight million have fallen into poverty, and the billionaires have made over $282 billion in that same time. When I hear those numbers, I feel like Paul. As I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Their allegiance is to themselves. But... I am so thankful that I know all of you, and I know how much better than that you are. And so, as well as that gets me, I am also able to concur with Paul when he continues that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our ultimate allegiance to God overrides all other allegiances. So I want to leave us with one of the most beautiful images I know of what all of this looks like. It's the... uh, Poem from Wendell Berry, Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay, want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die, and you will have a window in your head Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of hummus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carry on. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful. Be joyful though you have considered all the facts. So long as women do not go cheap for power, please women more than men. Ask yourself, will this satisfy a woman satisfied to bear a child? Will this disturb the sleep of a woman near to giving birth? Go with your love to the fields. Lie easy in the shade, rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark a false trail the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. That line, such a beautiful line, practice resurrection. This is what Paul encourages us towards. Thanks be to God.